Hello, and welcome to Second Helpings, a Grace Fellowship podcast designed to serve up another round of insight and application from our Sunday morning corporate worship gatherings. Pull up, dig in, and get filled as we take another taste of God's greatness. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Second Helpings. I am Pastor Zach, joined again by Pastor Dan. Hello. Hello, and welcome. Um, We are here to talk about the message we had back here on September 11th. Um, I thought it was interesting, Dan, as I was going in and planning all this stuff for the service this week, that date still means a lot. Um, And it's interesting, you know, when was that, 2000? It's been 22 years now, 22, 21 years that we've had that incident that had occurred. But I thought about how many times I've planned a church service now around that Mm. situation. Mm. And um, I've been thankful of the reminder that I get of God's sovereignty Mm. in our life, in our country, in us as His people, um, that no matter what happens in this world, He's got a plan for it. And uh, I was just reminded of that this week because it happened to be the very day I knew what we were talking about Mm. and thinking about the overall arching theme of our life. uh, I think it kind of prepared me in a fun way to to hear the message. Of course, I knew the song. So um, it was a good, it was a really good service time of worship, uh, time of our singing, what I mean by worship, singing, our preaching, and our spending time of even inviting new church members. So it was good stuff. Good. Yeah. But in this particular episode, and what we do here is we focus on the message. So uh, you are responsible. So anything that went wrong totally falls on you, right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I I wash my hands of this. (laughs) I know, but we're here today to be able to dig into this a little bit more. And really the theme, we're talking about our philosophy of ministry um, in this message, but really what we're talking about is being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. So just give us kind of an overview of the highlights you hit, and let's dig a little bit more into the details and maybe provide some more clarity for how we see that. Yeah, I think the key is for us, and and it's almost... um, it's almost like the giant billboard going down the highway. Why doesn't everybody see this? Is that when it comes to healthy ministry, Jesus did healthy ministry. So we don't look past him to a modern way to do church ministry, a modern way to think about ministry. We don't have to make anything up. What we see in his life is as he went through his life, we see stages in which he reveals his hand. So he's always doing those things that please the Father, says in John 8. Yeah. And so the idea is, is everything he does is on time. Everything he does is intentional. So when we look at his life, there's this balance of reaching, building, equipping, and multiplication or lifestyle multiplication. And so we see that in the life of the disciples and Jesus pouring in. And we see within the 12 and the 70 and the 120, we see that intentionality to work with a few to reach the masses. And so what we do is we just drew out principles that's been done for a long time. People like Dan Spader at Sun Life Ministries, uh, people like Bill Hull, other guys have done this, maybe use some different vocabulary, but fundamentally we see that the life of Christ is healthy ministry. So how do we reflect his character who he is and what he did because not to earn salvation but because we're following him now our our slate is clean we've given the righteousness of christ so now how do we walk in faith like jesus did um, because he lived a life of being sanctified uh, on our behalf and so therefore we're called to be sanctified we're called to be distinct and different okay what does that look like in church ministry we shouldn't look like consumers 
as much as we should look like followers. So we went into Matthew 4.17 and thought about the, the different aspects, but parked on 4.17 of what a disciple is. Someone's following Christ, someone's being changed by Christ or transformed, and then people are on mission for Christ. So follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's one thing. So we walk through the reaching chair, the building chair, being built in the faith, being equipped to do ministry and in lifestyle. So we kind of walk through that gambit. So that's a bit of an overview of what yeah. we did. And I think it's important for one of the things we point out when we're talk we talk about reach, build, equip, lead, we see that. We're not trying to do like a cookie cutter form. This isn't a paint yeah. by colors type thing because we don't see that in Jesus's mm -hmm. life. We no. don't want anybody to think that we went to the scriptures and we went, oh, that's what Matthew was writing. That's what John was writing. We don't see yeah. that. But we look at these principles that they were clearly talking about how to follow Jesus. And these are the things that we radiate or that radiate from the text. Yeah. And we put them in these buckets, not to be like they're silos, but to help us think about how we yeah. functionally carry out these ministries as church. Yeah. And it's, it's like a pot of stew, not a segmented yeah. kind of graph. It's all in there. Uh, but we recognize there is a sequential dynamic of how he deals with people, the disciples, when he first meets them and then what they are like when he leaves them. So what's what did he do in between? Luke 640 talks about a servant or a follower or disciple be like his teacher. So what is that how did they become like their teacher over that time? And when we see that, we say those those values are good values for us because people are people. Yeah. Uh, we use different maybe technology, different means like we're doing right now. But fundamentally, there's nothing new, and we never get away from the ministry and the life of Christ. That's, I think that's one of the interesting things, because generally in our culture, and quite frankly, probably in every culture over time, I think we want the, the how-to manual. Oh, like, yeah. Want, this is step one, step two, step three. It's so peculiar to me that none of the gospel authors thought, oh, let me include this little instruction yeah. thing. Yeah. But they were really big on value. We, call, we talk about Jesus' um, characteristics and his priorities, right? Yeah. They're really big on seeing that, and you go... I think if you're really maybe a type A type personality, that could be very mm. dissatisfying. Just tell me what to do. Totally. If I do these three things, the widget of the disciple comes out on the other yeah. end. But it just seems like that's not an interest of the text. So we don't have that liberty. And it's not only uh, not the interest of the text, it wasn't the interest of Christ. So like yeah. you even see him spending time with the disciples and then you see him saying he's getting ready to go to the cross and the Holy Spirit has to come. There's so this, this Trinitarian dynamic to facilitate ministry that you have to have. So it's never like the Western mentality, just give me the instructions and I'll do it. God just doesn't work like that. And yet we are swimming in that current. And so therefore, as pastors, anybody who develops as a disciple leadership has to realize it's not an event. We love to make things event. It's a process. There is that developmental dynamic that's slow and tedious, and he's got to do the deep work in your heart. It's not an event. For how many years, 1948, if we went back to Billy Graham, um, we've started seeing evangelism as an event yeah. versus a process. So we see it as a, merely a point in time where somebody prays a prayer. Well, that creates a, an enormous mess because God's doing this work and seeing him work on people, even the disciples, you see him work through and God's doing this work. You have to have these eyes of faith to see it so that you don't get discouraged in the moment. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point you bring up too, talking about the accompanying and work of the Spirit. Um, I think that 
I think sometimes in the circles that we tend to be in, we can be accused, and maybe rightly sometime, of not emphasizing the Spirit's accompaniment in making disciples, mm. since you don't talk about it. Well, there's kind of a catch-22 there. The Spirit doesn't want to be emphasized, right? Yeah. The yeah. Spirit's role yeah. is to make much of the Father and the Son, but um, we can't possibly make disciples in our own strength. What no. will we be making disciples of? So maybe yeah. when we talk about planning, one of the things we talk about is spirit dependency and forming our ministries that we're going to do. Mm. Um, it's assumed, maybe in a sense that for some people is unsatisfying, that we don't draw enough attention to it, but it is an assumption nonetheless that you must make, otherwise your ministry is completely pointless. Mm. Anything we're going to do to help mold people into the image of Christ must be accompanied by the Holy Spirit. We have no strength to do this on our own. Yeah, and so I think that that's where your theology comes in and you realize, and I think you start understanding the Holy Spirit has uh, identifying marks but not in the way we think, again, not in the Western way. So when you go to a crime scene, uh, they're looking for fingerprints. They're not looking for the person, they're looking for fingerprints. So when we do ministry, we're looking for the fingerprints of the Holy Spirit. What is that? Convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. And how Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of all those dynamics. So why are people convicted of sin? Because they're a sinner. Christ came to rescue sinners. Uh, righteousness, you're not righteous as you should be. And Jesus Christ came to give you righteousness. And judgment to come, Jesus Christ came, he's coming again, and he will deliver you from that judgment. So in other words, all of those dynamics, the fingerprints of the Holy Spirit, he shows up and he loves making much of Christ. So if you love making much of the Holy Spirit and not making much of Christ, you're actually going against what he wants to do. And good bet you're manufacturing uh, the mm. works of the Holy Spirit. You're well, actually not recognizing. And that brings up a really good point, too, because you can't. And remember, when we're talking about philosophy of ministry and we're talking about how to do these things, we are talking about the functional work of the church. So there are senses yeah. in which we go, this is a structure. This is how we look at things. We understand that. Uh, I mean, not to use kind of a silly phrase, but there is an art to making disciples. There's a thing to where you have a feel and you gather experience in doing mm. it. So, But it can seem like if you just look at it as a mechanics that if I do this thing, if at the other end of my work, I create a person who confesses Jesus, we have yeah. done it. Like, yeah. we're, we're assuming that the Holy Spirit must do the work of converting yeah. somebody. Um, we are dependent upon the Spirit as we pray to our outreach, that if that is to occur, mm. the Spirit has been along with us. And if not, we're, we've got a false confession, we've got yeah. false development, the credit's not going to go to Christ in the way it would. So we're not, we're not trying to avoid the Holy Spirit of God. We are dependent upon Him to do anything yeah. that we can possibly do, but we're going to make much of Jesus after it's done. Yeah, yeah, because that's what He's interested in doing. Yeah, exactly right. And we want to align. Mm -hmm. So talking a little bit more about that functionality, I know... Um, when we're doing this, and I have a lot of experience from even the corporate world when we talk about missions and purpose. Um, well, one, I, I really appreciate it. We had a talk leading up to it about the difference between purpose and mission. Mm. And in our, our group, in our church, we happen to have it all in one statement. We say our purpose is to spread the fame of God mm -hmm. by making disciples of Jesus Christ. So our purpose is spreading the fame of God, mission, by making disciples of Jesus Christ. That's how we fulfill our purpose, right? And yeah. We know that. That's biblical. Yeah. Every church... Yeah. At a baseline, that should be what they're doing, yep. right? There's different ways in which we're going to put wording around it. But when we get into it and then we talk about reach, build, equip, lead, and we see these things, you, there can be a tendency to think of them as these silos, hmm. which we don't see them as silos. We know that there's different emphasis we have when we're doing something that's in a building area, that's in an equipping area, that's in a leading area. 
but none of them ever happen to the detriment of the others. We can't sure. we can't think that way. Sure. So functionally, like just give us some idea of when we're developing a new ministry or something. How, how do we go about that kind of process? Yeah, I think in just in general thinking about it, when you're somebody who's lost and you reach for the gospel and you trust Christ, then you grow in your faith then you are reflecting back on the previous chair, you could say, of, I want to reach people with the gospel. Then as you grow in your faith and you're being equipped by people to do good works, you're still sitting in seat one and two, but in a different way. So you never leave those aside, even when it comes to lifestyle. So what we do is we think about as a church is not merely just having those, but what's the balance? What's the health of those things? In other words, if we say this is an equipping event, that event has to have... Uh, we're doing this because you're going to do that. In other words, we're having this event for you to do something versus growth level or being built in the faith. The information in the meeting can directly apply to you and act on you. Now, you're you're both in both situations. You're going to grow, develop, think differently. But equipping is unique. Equipping for ministry, some way in which this information is necessary for you to uh, minister to somebody. Some reason this relationship or this modeling or this person showing you is going to live out here. Versus growth level building is the idea of I just need to know this about God. I need to know this about myself. How the text. Uh, interplays with that. And so those are the distinction. Then lifestyle is simply the culmination of doing those things for enough time that you're mature, that you're actually regularly seeking to reach people, build people, or being built, have the disciplines of staying in the Word yourself, being equipped, expanding, growing, peer care, peer share. That's how we boil down the equipping. And you're walking in those priorities. So you've matured to the point that no one has to come behind you and remind you. You're not like a child with a parent has to remind you or a baby. A baby has to be taken care of. You're matured. So just like a mature adult doesn't need to be told what to do. That's what a lifestyle multiplication somebody. So, for example, in my own personal life, I never get to the point that I would say, um, Sunday morning, I'm discipling people, and that's my primary way to disciple people, mm. uh, and that's all I do. No, I have people that I'm seeking to reach in my life. I was spending time with two people last night in their home in my neighborhood. So I'm trying to reach them with the gospel. So I don't leave that seat behind. Yeah. But since I've come to Christ, now I'm seeking to reach people. So I have to walk in these priorities too. I shouldn't say have to, I want to because yeah. of the priorities of Christ has. So that as our leadership is healthy in our church, it, it becomes part of our, our culture. People see this idea. And so it might sound complicated uh, when you first kind of step in, but we've been immersed in it for so long, the water, we've seen the life of Christ and we're always, how can we be healthier here or do this less or do this more? Or are we doing, are we being busy? Are we being effective? We kind of walk in between those terms. I, I think you almost start recognizing it as second nature, hopefully. Yeah. And I think it's, it can be complicated if you don't put in other parallels, but I think about the idea of, um, I've not been to the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium yet. I've heard, though, that they have quite the experience in the box seats, right? Um, but I'm going to imagine if I was to go down there and I bought a ticket to whatever the rows are, section 1B, row 3, seat 4. I'm required to sit in that seat. I have bought a ticket to that seat. And hopefully I've got a ticket next there in seat five for my wife. Mm -hmm. I understand it's expensive, so we're probably not gonna bring the whole family. It's but a date sign. There night. you go. Somebody gave us the tickets, right? Yeah. Um, you're required to sit in that seat. And I think you can, if you look at it and you go to these chairs, you go, well, I've got an assigned seat and I move back and forth. It's more like a box. 
You've bought the mm. box, you have access to all the seats. And at different time during the game, as you're viewing what's happening, yeah. you move to a different seat. Uh, you're not gonna go back in the reaching one as to where you're lost. Yeah. You've kind of gotten access yeah. to that. But never the idea that you're just sitting in one place. Yeah. And not in the sense like it's a diagram for how you have to follow life. Like you just said, mm. this is what you get to do to display the characteristics of Christ Jesus, which is what it means to be a disciple. Yeah. We saw him doing these things, we went about doing these things because we want to feel the fulfillment that he had in reflecting the fathers were designed to do. Yeah, and if you look at things like uh, feeding the 5,000, so when he feeds the 5,000, what does he do before? He turns over to Philip uh, and he talks about the fact of in, in enlisting him, feed these people. And Philip's kind of does some numbers really quick. Uh, I can't do it. There's no way. I've kind of done it. The abacus in my brain can't pull it off. Andrew comes. Here's a little boy. Uh, he's got some food. So what is he doing? He's drawing them in. He's engaging. He's sh creating this weight of, I can't do it. And then Jesus goes, yeah, because I can. And I'm the only one here who can. So therefore, you have that dynamic. Jesus didn't randomly come up. with. He didn't go at one moment, hey, I want you to do it. And the next moment, oh, okay, I'll do it. No, there was that dynamic. He's pulling next to them. Yeah. And he is equipping them to do ministry. Then they're the ones who hand this out. They gather all the, all the leftovers up. And so this teaching moment. So you're equipping people, but as you're equipping people, they're actually affecting other people. Yeah. So it's not these silos, not these separate compartments. But when it comes to leadership, there's one purpose for something, but there's multiple ripples that go out from that's right. that. So that's one of the big distinctives, and you, you were mentioning it, between that build and equip, I know sometimes people can get a little caught up, but on the end of equip, there is almost a tangible deliverable. Totally. Like you're going to teach a class. We are equipping yeah. you, giving you, that's a good way to think about it. When you're being built, you are maybe bodybuilding, right? You're lifting the weights. Okay. You think about Paul, like as the athlete when he's talking about that, and I'm buffeting my body. Yep. You're growing. When we're equipping you, we're now putting a tool in your hand that your body can use to go do a specific work, right? Yep. So as I build up my bicep strength, which is a thing that I could possibly do if I chose to do again. You're massive. <laughs> there was a time. It was long ago, but there was a time. <laughs> On a planet far, far away. Um, so you could put the hammer in my arm and I could go build something with it. Or that bicep that's been built up can run a saw or that bicep that's been built up can go run and get groceries, but I'm building that core yeah. thing and yeah. the tool specific to a task we're gonna be given. Yeah. Maybe that's a good way to be able to separate it for people. Sounds um, like it's the beginning of a logo. Well, there you go. And the irony is, as you're hitting that nail with the hammer, you're also still building the bicep, right? Irony. There you go, right? You're in the other and that's end the of the Christian it. life. There you go, just like that, we solved it all. Right? <laughs> and then we talk about lead. Now let's, leading, I think you can just go to, well, we got nine guys that do that, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And there's a sense in which, yes, we do, the elders, sure. you know, we lead in that sense. But leading is an expectation of every Christ follower in some way, shape, or yeah. form. So elaborate a little bit more on that for us to understand. Yeah, I think that's a great example, that, because like when you look at the examples in Titus or Timothy, when he talks about elders, those qualities aren't superhero qualities. They're qualities everybody should have. The difference between an elder, pastor, overseer is they've developed such a consistency and maturity that they're known for those things. And so there comes a point where they move up. So everybody functions at that, but the, the higher up you go, you could say, or the lower, because it's service, um, you see people are more mature. They're more consistent. They're more reliable. They're more passionate. They're out in front because people can recognize them. So I think that's really important. And I think that 
Jesus recognized that in the life of his disciples, and he does that particularly, we talk about in John 17, 4, when he's praying that high priestly prayer, uh, he says that, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, what's really interesting about that is, is that this is before the cross. So what is this work that he's completed? Uh, the only answer that fits the passage is to make disciples. Because if you look up in John chapter 16, he starts talking about the hours coming, and I no longer speak to you in figures of speech. I'll tell you plainly about the Father. On that day you will ask my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. And it goes on and on. And the disciples said, now we know you're speaking plainly and not using figures of speech. Now we know that all things and you do not need to question you. This is why we believe you came from God. And then Jesus says, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, has come. So there's this thing that Jesus prays, John 17, almost in a reaction to the disciples being illuminated in that moment. And then Jesus recognizes that this is the Father doing this. They're coming to the place of completion, Luke 6.40. So that's why he says, I've completed the work you gave me to do. So he reads it in their life and he goes, I've done all I can. And he's already been anticipating that in John 14 and John 16 with the Holy Spirit has to come. And now at this moment, because he's moving toward the night of crucifixion, which he knows is going to take place. He knows this is his time. And he, but in, that's the moment mm. that the disciples get it. Judas has left, John 13. He left. So he He's including, you believe now, this is the moment you can say they're absolutely saved, if you want to use that terminology. And then Jesus says, I've completed it. Their cup is absolutely full. We can't get anything more that I'm called to do in their life to get them ready. The next thing that has to be done is going to the cross for them. So I've completed the work. So when Jesus says that, I've completed the work, that making disciples is the work. Mm. Yeah. Which is profound. Well, yeah, and it's an articulation of, I mean, if you know anything about this term, redemptive history in general. Mm -hmm. I mean, it goes, it takes you all the way back to the garden of we yeah. were made to bear God's image. We rebelled against that. We can no longer do it. Well, what's an image bearer? Somebody who looks like the image they're bearing. That's right. What is a disciple? A disciple is, well, in our sense of Jesus Christ, is somebody who follows Jesus, who was what? The image bearer of God. He has prepared and set away in that you could say, well, Danny still got the work of the cross that was written before all time, sure. right? That yeah. we know that's going to happen. It's ironic to me that we, I think, have a tendency to just think about the cross. The work of Jesus sure. Christ was to save me from hell. Yeah. The benefit of yeah. the work of Jesus Christ was you are saved from hell. That's a benefit. Yeah. The work was to restore your ability to properly and fully display the image of God, which we're yeah. going to do which is what it is to be a disciple. Yeah, there, if we could books upon books upon books upon books, all the things that Christ did was to fulfill everything from Adam and Eve and how they failed, Israel failed, everybody failed, yeah. he doesn't fail. So he walks in that preparation period before his ministry starts, he represents us before the enemy and the temptation in the wilderness because Israel failed, he doesn't. He's fulfilling all of those roles of humanity and all the ways that people have failed so that we can receive the righteousness right. of Christ by trust in him and now we live up to who we are that's right who we are in Christ now we seek to try to live up to that uh, in our sanctification yeah and that's the beautiful thing you see when you put all this stuff together and you start thinking about holistically 
I think sometimes when people think theology, they can get a little bit concerned about it. I don't know that part. I don't know this term or whatever. Mm. There's one big story. There's one big ology that's being theoed here. Yep. <laughs> it's the study yep. of God and His great work. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think about the idea of the work being done and what the life of Christ did. When you start looking at in that big theme, a lot of things start making sense. I think about the mm-hmm. idea of talking about what Jesus did in the making disciples. When He says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. For, in our brain, a lot of time we go... Well, we think, and we have the problem of just, you know, modern English understanding this term of law as being a set of restrictions that we're required mm. to follow. We go back, we think Torah meant instruction. It was God telling the people, mm. this is how you are to represent me, how you are to bear my image, right, mm-hmm. in this place. So there's no conflict when Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish, I've come to fulfill it. He goes, I'm the perfect representation. This is what I have done. Mm. And you see this again and again. So many things in Scripture, as you think about what it means to be a genuine Christ follower, mm. things that might have seemed confusing just kind of go, well, that fits, that fits, that fits. Yeah. I'll give you one of the big, biggest ones that uh, I hear people regularly just uh, completely miss, and it's so tragic, is the concept of the kingdom. People are stuck in, and it's true, the idea of a place from which God rules, this mm. kingdom. We think of walls and we think of gates and the idea of God's kingdom coming. And so we talk about your kingdom come, your will be done. And we talk about uh, praying for his kingdom and we think future. Effectively, it's God's rule in my life. Mm. So when Jesus talks about sends out disciples, telling them the kingdom of God is near, what's he talking about? He's talking about the rule of the Father, perfectly displayed in submission, is perfectly being achieved in his life. So he says the kingdom of God is near. Jesus is behind us. So when we think of the kingdom of God, it's yes, it's yet to come, but it's the kingdom come is when I submit to his rule in my life, he's the king, I'm the territory, I'm the domain, and as he rules me, his kingdom comes in my life, and his, he's ruling over me. So there's a sense in which the fragrance of the kingdom is coming in my life, and there's spots of it around the world with people who are Christians. And so people can see the kingdom, his character and priorities, in my life, and it slowly happens more and more and more and more, till eventually his kingdom literally comes. So it's this very C.S. Lewis, the thawing of the winter. Yes as his kingdom and so the as nature is being thawed humanity is being thawed through christians as they live under his rule and it's eventually going to have its full expression literally on this earth so don't think of just then and there don't think kingdom like you know some science fiction kingdom is god's rule as king in my life and we see that a lot oftentimes when we think about the end you think you need to think about the end of the beginning the same way right yeah so we see genesis 1 26 and following right he has given dominion yep. over the sea over the, the animals and the creatures yep. I, he's not giving it like oh god like chunked out his dominion and said here handle it for me right it's sure. through him yep. and he gives it to adam and eve yep. well do you see his kingdom is established here and they abdicate their, their rule. They abdicate the dominion God's given. They abdicate their stewardship of it appropriately. Mm-hmm. But when we see the new Jerusalem coming down and we see this, there is a sense in which that rule will be done perfectly because we will be as Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so cool to think about the already not yet. Yeah. That is yeah. why it's already not yeah. yet. And I I think it's a good thing to remember because I'd never, I never want to be like, not just the Pharisees, but most of Israel, that mm. the coming of the kingdom wasn't what they expected. Mm. We've had it pretty much laid out for us. It's not difficult to see. Um, yes, 
because the dilemma you create is that if God's kingdom is established that way, that means he's not presently ruling at the moment. And we know that's not true. Yeah. So as Christ followers, as the King, Christ Jesus, who is yet to return, we begin to, by his power and sanctification, yeah. follow him, yeah. which means we start embarking upon our inheritance as yeah. co-rulers and co-regents with him. And, and when you see the life of Christ, it's exactly what's happening. That thawing was occurring when the, the blind spe- sees, yeah. the lame walks. In other words, the things that happen from the fall, he reverses those. That's right. And those are the incremental things, and he's slowly reversing it. So it's kind of like a, uh, a giant funnel. What it was intended to be at the beginning comes down, Christ comes, and then all of a sudden it goes back out the other way. So therefore the intention, because the intention has to come true. If God designed to the earth to be a, a global place of worship where his image bearers reflect him, so when he sees them, he sees himself, and our joy is full, he's, he's glorified. So his intent was the world to be this global place of worship, and we don't have to get into it now, but make the case for that. We can make a whole uh, series. Yeah. I mean, I'm down, we can go. <laughs> so, so if that's true, uh, that will happen, or God isn't God. Yeah. Satan has a right to say, I outwitted God. So that's going to be the end. So if that's going to be the end, just start now with trusting him and letting his kingdom rule in your life by trusting in Christ and walking in obedience and making disciples. It's one of the beautiful things. We, I think it's interesting in this church. Um, we have, oh, I'm sure there's all kinds of eschatological views, but we have the main three views in our church, sure. right? And I think it's great that as you function in those appropriately, that you can you can work and worship and fellowship with one another because you understand, um, I'm not building a kingdom. I'm I'm not. I'm along for the ride, one yeah. way or the other. There's responsibilities yeah. to be honorable in what sure. we do for the Lord, but our responsibility is really to reflect Christ and do that. And you get to go, man. The King, he's got this thing under control, mm. and nothing's thwarting it. And you get excited, and it's an adventure because you're seeing his kingship burst onto the minds of people, burst into the lives, how they parent, how students deal with other students and peer pressure, how guys deal with work and women deal with work and women. And you see, you say the kingdom is breaking onto their life. Now, it's not this giant trumpet yet, but it's a slow incremental taking territory back from the enemy in the lives of people. It's incredibly exciting. Yeah, it's good stuff. Well, we obviously we could reach into a bunch of series because we're talking yeah. about yeah. the the topic of Christianity, right? Yeah. Um, one thing I want to encourage our viewers with and our, the people that are in our body, if you ever have questions about our philosophy of ministry, or if we say something, it seems like, oh, I don't quite peg that. We love talking about this oh, stuff. Yeah. We want to clarify Huge. it. Um, we are not. We haven't written a book about you know how other churches can copy this. We're never like <laughs> locked in stone. This stuff is developing all the time as our yeah. culture changes. We want to be able to make sure that people understand what we're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we don't change the ministry <laughs> according to the culture, but we um, we want to be contextual. So yeah. we're always working because at the end of the day, we're about spreading God's fame and making yep. disciples of Jesus yeah. Christ. So it's good, good stuff. Yeah. All right, brother. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Appreciate you, brothers and sisters, joining us to watch and listen. Look forward to having more conversations with you about this and how we can continue to spread God's fame by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Until next time, we'll see you later.